Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and this is the Bengals Booth Podcast. The I'm standing on the rooftop shouting out, baby, I'm ready to go edition. As the Bengals try to make this the week that they get their first win under Zach Taylor as they try to upset the first place Ravens in Baltimore. Coming up, you'll hear three conversations. Up first, it's my broadcast partner, Dave Lapham. We'll discuss the matchup, the possibility of the Bengals trading veteran players, and we'll do something a little different as each of us will pick the player on another NFL roster that we would most like to have in Cincinnati. With a qualifier, we weren't allowed to select Patrick Mahomes. That would have been too easy. My locker room conversation this week is with wide receiver Auden Tate, who had his first NFL touchdown catch last week. But as he was quick to point out, he probably should have had two. We'll discuss his catch and his drop. And in this week's Know the Foe segment, we'll get the lowdown on the Ravens from their longtime radio play-by-play man, Jerry Sandusky. That's Jerry with a G. All of that is straight ahead, but first, here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since NFL Turning Point. My favorite football show on TV is NFL Turning Point. It's a 30-minute show where they do a deep dive into a couple of games from the previous week using highlights and on-field audio provided by NFL Films. For my money, it's the best show out there that captures both the strategy of pro football and the emotional drama. New episodes air on FS1 every Wednesday night, and I highly recommend NFL Turning Point. Now let's get to my conversation with Dave Lapham, and we started with something that isn't going to happen, but was fun to discuss. Here's a question we are both going to answer. If you could add one player to the Bengals roster off another team, who would it be with this qualifier? It can't be a quarterback because we would both pick Patrick Mahomes. You go first. Close second might be Russell Wilson for me. That dude, he just seems to make plays when he has to make plays, that son of a gun. He's he's amazing. Um, As a former offensive lineman, I'm going to take the offensive side of the football and struggling up front, the offensive line. And the Indianapolis Colts went into Kansas City and beat the Chiefs, and they were just physical with them. And they just, you know, they mauled uh, the Kansas City Chiefs up front. They kept Mahomes off the football field. And a guy that I think is the leader of the pack there is Quentin Nelson, kid out of Notre Dame. I just think I like everything about him. I like his demeanor. He's the policeman out there. He's the bodyguard for everybody. Anytime there's a little skirmish, he's the first one in to support his teammates, pulling guys apart or doing what he needs to do to help his teammate and uh plus the fact that he's a hell of a football player i mean run blocker great pulling guard tremendous pass protector just need to start to improve that that up front you know get get something done up front and his his uh style of play may be contagious as well maybe that'll uh you know get get somebody like a kingpin up front that has that kind of mentality as for me, if I knew he could stay healthy and would play eight to ten more years, I'd take Luke Keekley. But he's 28 right. and in his eighth year in the NFL. So I'm going to go with Quentin Nelson's Indianapolis right. teammate, right. linebacker Darius Leonard, 24 years old, second year in the NFL, led the league in tackles last year, eight passes defended, seven sacks, two interceptions. 
Give me a playbacking, a playmaking linebacker that can go sideline to sideline, reading stuff and making plays. When was the last time the Bengals' defense was good? When Vontez Perfect was still good. Mm-hmm. The That's Bengals true. desperately need a guy like that. That's their two weakest positions, you know, offensive line and linebacker, though. Where they need the most help for sure, Dan. We had Andy Benoit, formerly of Sports Illustrated, on one of our radio shows earlier this year, and I asked him if the Rams-style offense that Zach was bringing to Cincinnati would help the offensive line. And he said not necessarily because the best runs that Sean McVay likes to go to are outside zone runs, and Andy said they require a threshold of athleticism that the Bengals don't have up front. Is that preventing the Bengals from running the type of plays that Todd Gurley has been so successful doing? I mean, yeah, you could you could say that uh, the running game the, or the lack thereof with respect to the running game, uh, my theory as having played the position is I always love play action pass because you're in max protection. It's very offensive line friendly and usually very quarterback friendly because you're you're basically in max protection. You have a fake, a faking running back that basically consumes somebody potentially um, if he runs a good enough fake or can block the guy if he does blitz and he doesn't have the football. So that's your sixth blocker picking up a, you know, an extra rusher, and, and you're, you're selling the run, and that's making the defensive line not tee off and rush the quarterback. So you know normally if your running game's going, play-action pass is great. It's very, very friendly. Um, but if the running game gets uh, – lack of execution or whatever the case may be isn't working or you're putting yourself in down in distances where the running game isn't a factor and you're at, you know, first and 15, second and 20 too often like they have been, you got to drop back and throw it. And this offensive line strength is not, um, you know, pass protecting, dropping back and throwing the football 30 times a game. That's not, that's not who they are at all. So, you know, Andy makes a, a great point. I mean, theoretically, if you uh, can establish – some sort of a pressure point with that outside zone or inside zone. They're much better inside zone blockers than outside zone for the reasons Andy said. You, you have to be, you know, you have to be move, be able to move laterally, horizontally, athletically, you know, to be able to get the the, uh, the stretch in the in the outside zone that you're looking for. So until they get that running game going, the theory of it being a very offensive line friendly, quarterback friendly offense goes out the window because you're stuck and down at distances where you're just dropping back and throwing the football and people are teeing off on you. You have made no secret of your desire to see Giovanni Bernard more involved. Yeah, I mean, I think whenever he plays, I like what he does. I mean, I I think he can be a factor, a very positive factor. Uh, The organization, they don't give a guy, you know, an eight-figure contract, not seven figures, an eight-figure contract because they just like you and they do like him. What's not to like about him? He's a great guy. Uh, he's doing a lot of a lot of good for people that need help with respect to water, you know, and, and the bare necessities of life. You know, he's providing people, um, and you know, how, how can you not respect and like a guy like that? But you know, at some point, okay, you think he's a, he's really a good football player. You want him to be part of your your football team. How about giving him some snaps? You know, incorporate him. You're down. In the game, the Bengals were down to four receivers. They lost Alex Erickson, and, and uh, you know, no offense to the third and fourth receiver, but why why can't Giovanni Bernard do at least what they're doing in some uh, formations, or 
you know, two back sets, you know, be a little creative, do some jets, uh, jet sweeps with him, do some shovel passes with him. He's a guy that can do that sort of thing and get on the perimeter for you. So, yeah, I'd like to see a little more Giovanni Bernard involvement for sure, and I think, uh, I think it would pay dividends. And nobody wants to win any more than Giovanni Bernard does, and I'll guarantee you he's frustrated. But, you know, the reason that he was elected captain, he's not going to verbalize his frustration. He's, he's frustrated about being 0-5, and I'm sure he's frustrated about not being more of a, a remedy to solve the, the problem. But, you know, recently married, elected captain, eight-figure contract, life's good. <laughs> Lap, let's talk about this year's rookie class. Jonah Williams is obviously out. Nothing the Bengals could do about that. Their second-round pick, tight end Drew Sample, was in for 15 snaps last week. He's played 67 snaps on offense through five games. Third-round pick, linebacker Jermaine Pratt, in for nine snaps last week. He's been in 34 on defense through five games. Is it time for that to change? I think it is. I think it's time to take the reins off the rookies or take the training wheels off the bike and let the rookies ride. Um, you know, Lou Anarumu, in our conversation that everybody in the media had with him earlier in the week, was pointing out the fact that uh, look what Arizona did. They, they ran 10 personnel. One back, four wides, no tight ends, you know, just one back, four wide receivers, a high percentage, almost like 60% of the time. Well, they lost a couple of receivers to injury. They were going as much as 12 personnel, a one back and two tight ends. And they didn't even, they weren't even playing a tight end. They would go 11 personnel with one of the tight ends, 12 personnel. And that changed the gap responsibilities and the assignments in the running game. And it took the Bengals a while to adjust, and they really did never adjust to it all that well to the tune of 266 yards. So why not Cincinnati do the same thing? I mean, why not uh, give the Baltimore Ravens a little bit more to think about? I mean, Baltimore utilizes their tight ends. Three of their top five receivers are tight ends. So they, they put them out there. They throw it to them, and they have more than one out there to block. And, um, you know, why not go to a little bit of that style of offense, give them a taste of their own medicine, I guess, a little bit, because, I mean, you draft a kid in the second round, you don't draft him just to block, you know, on short yardage and goal line situations or whatever the case may be. Um, and I think he's proven that. I think he can be a, a factor. He can be a viable factor. So let, let him roll a little bit. Um, and then, you know, uh, at, at the linebacker position with all the problems that they have at the linebacker position, I mean, Pratt is, is probably overall the most athletic of all of them. And uh, obviously – you know, like Lou was talking about earlier again, you know, I'm telling him just this one gap, don't worry about anything else, just hit this gap. And it's not 100% of the time that maybe maybe he's doing it because, you know, he's, he's, he said he's a kid that wants to please people and maybe he's trying to do too much, maybe he's pressing a little bit. But at some point you got to let him get out there. And the only, the only way you can improve in the NFL is to experience it, to stand there and watch it is nothing, believe me, it's nothing like being out there and experiencing what it's like, the speed of the game, how quickly you have to adjust, all the things you have to do both mentally and physically. So I think it's it's time to let these guys, uh, you know, step up and, and see what they can do. The Baltimore Ravens are a 3-4 defense with two massive defensive tackles up front, 345 pounds and 336 pounds, and they're probably bigger than that. If you were a defensive coordinator, philosophically, would you be a 3-4 guy or a 4-3 guy? Hmm. I'd, it would depend on my personnel. I mean, if I, if I came to an organization 
you know. Uh, blank what, slate, your draft. A blank slate. I mean, I, I think the 3-4 defense is you, – you have, you have to draft well for it. You have to draft the right guys. Um, you know, I, I, see, I see benefits to both of them. Um, having played the center position, if you have a nose guard that can dominate, I can tell you that that, that, that makes it tough on everybody. When you, have a, when you have a big old beast that's inverting the center all the time, um, you know, it, it's just like anywhere. You want to be solid up the middle in baseball, shortstop, center field, you know, catcher. Mm-hmm. And if you can be solid up the middle with a hellacious nose guard, you know, and, and a, a, like an inside linebacker at the next level to boot and a safety that's, that's uh, salty in the middle of the football field, man, that, you know, you're making people go side, sideways, go, go outside. So I, I think, you know, unless I, could, unless I have two beasts inside a defensive tackle, I mean, that, you know, that, that's, that's great as well. But I, I just think that in, in a 3-4, it's, I think it's harder to run against. I think it's harder to get that initial push on them, you know. But you better have damn good linebackers because people are going to throw it on you. They're going to isolate your linebackers in a 3-4 defense. If you go base 3-4, they're going to isolate those linebackers, and you better, uh, better be able to be up to snuff. I'd be a 3-4 guy yeah. for a lot of the reasons that you just described. Secondly... It makes you better on special teams yeah, because you carry more linebackers right. and they are ideal special teams guys. Darren Simmons wouldn't agree with you with the Bengals, <laughs> with the Bengals right now. The linebackers. He'd agree have. with the philosophy, <laughs> no, not no necessarily question. with the personnel no on this team. No doubt. But, I mean, you know, he's got Samaj P. Ryan. You know, he's got a running back making huge contributions. He has uh, players at other position groups. Uh, Darren Simmons, in my mind, does such an unbelievable – I know we're getting off on a totally different subject, but he, of any special teams coach in the National Football League, piecemeals different positions into his special teams more so. I mean, others, it's cookie cutter. You know, I got these tight ends, I have these linebackers, I have these defensive back. You know, it's, it's like I've got X, Y, Z. You know, Darren will – he'll pull a receiver out of there. He'll pull a running back out of there if he has to. I mean – He's not, uh, he's not a, uh, shy or embarrassed to, to try other things like that. But I agree with you. Usually linebackers are some of the best athletes on your football team from a size-speed ratio you know, kind of thing. They're getting smaller in the NFL, but they're also getting faster, smaller and faster. So uh, special teams now, they've taken away double teams. They've taken away the wedge. I mean, it's just all about matching up in space. The, the whole NFL is offense, defense, special teams, who can match up in space? Who can block speed in space? Who can defeat blocks in space? I mean, who can? It is. It's all about spreading people out as wide as you can, and uh, and creating as much space as you can. And you need you need guys that have uh, speed and the short space quickness. You know, you're looking for as many of those type of athletes as you can find. The Bengals' defense has struggled this year, and this Sunday they face Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens. Jackson has 11 touchdown passes so far. That is as many as Patrick Mahomes. He has also rushed for 308 yards. That's a pace for 986 this year. What is the formula for preventing Lamar Jackson from having a monster day? And and he's rushed it in the first five games 50 times. Now, it's not all design runs. There are scrambles in there, but I bet half of it, minimum, is design runs. And we saw it. We were the first team to see it when he had his first NFL start. We saw uh, quarterback sweep. 
quarterback draw, quarterback counter, quarterback power. I mean, they, they used him as a running back. And the thing about it is when the quarterback's running the football like that, it's 11-on-11 football. It's not 10-on-11. Quarterback's not handing off and not doing anything. So you can get an extra helmet at the point of attack, pulling linemen and getting an extra helmet out there to out-leverage the defense. And, and that's, that's the problem he, uh, he, you know, he presents. He's averaging 6.2 yards a carry on those 50 carries. So, and, and that's, part, that's a big part of his game. But I think his pocket presence has gotten better. I think his ability to throw the deep ball with accuracy has gotten better. I think he's become a, a better quarterback, although I think he's thrown an interception in three out of the last four series that he's been on the field for the Ravens. But the Ravens were crying about a couple of the interceptions the Steelers had. Should have been a, one should have been a uh, ruled non-catch on the interception. The other one uh, should have been pass interference. But, you know, they go in the record books as, as interceptions. So I guess – they're not blatant interceptions where he's forcing into a spot where he, he shouldn't force it, which he had done a little bit. I think he's becoming more of a quarterback. And, man, two, two guys back-to-back that are basically the, the epitome of what you're looking for in the NFL quarterback today, feet and throwing arm. Kyler Murray last week, Lamar Jackson this week. There's no question it's hard to stop and very effective uh, from an offensive standpoint. The question is, is it sustainable? Can those guys do that week after week after week and stay on their feet? You know, the only the, the thing, the thing that um, Michael Vick did, RG3 was a straight-line runner, so RG3 could not avoid contact. He got blown up. I mean, it was like you watch him run, and even at Baylor, I'd watch him run, and there was no, no dipsy due to it. It was just, I mean, he was an Olympic-caliber hurdler. So I'd watch and I'd think, oh man, if this this could be you know like an Autobahn collision. I mean, these, these guys, there's two people going at a high rate of speed and 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 he took some shots, you know, and he would stay in bounds and take the shots. And I'm like, ugh, that's not going to bode well. These guys, you can't get a straight hit on them. If you if it's like it's like James Brooks would say to me, I'd say, JB, man, whew, guy put a shot. That's me, man. That's my bad. I I can't let guy take a hit like that on me. He said, "I gotta, I gotta make him. I gotta make it a glancing blow. I can't take a full force, you know, facial shot like that. That's what these quarterbacks do. They're so quick with short space quickness. It's like, and if you're hitting them, you don't run up there 100 miles an hour like they ran up to RG3. You have to break it down because they'll juke you. If you're going 100 miles an hour and they juke you, you're, <laughs> you're off in space. So I think that they have a better chance because of those kind of things. But they're still going to get caught in traffic." caught in a pile those are the kind of things when you get you know you get caught in a, in something that you really can't control and somebody falls on your leg awkwardly and stuff and quarterbacks don't normally unless in the pocket you know when the protections collapse and they may find that but they don't find that you know seven yards down the field where four guys are gang tackling now you got to worry about all these bodies in a pile and how am I going to get contorted and twisted so I just keep going back to the to the same thought uh, in the NFL 100 percent of the players or 100% an injury risk, 100% of the plays. And the littler you are, the more susceptible you are. But if you're quick as a cat, you know, that, that, that kind of balances it out a little bit. But, man, the more you run them, the odds are increasing. and they're going to get smoked. The Baltimore Ravens have one of the best defenses in the NFL. That is usually the case. But Andy Dalton has historically done well against Baltimore. He has a winning record against the Ravens last year in two games, six touchdown passes, no interceptions. 
Why does the Red Rifle do well against the Ravens? Well, the Thursday night game here in Cincinnati last year, they were blitzing him to death, and he was tearing him up. A.J. Green had three touchdown catches in the first half, and, and uh, they just backed off the blitz because Andy was destroying him. And I, I'd never seen Baltimore back off the blitz for as many snaps as they did. When you look at last week's game, um, you know, against Arizona, the touchdown drive before the 42-yard touchdown to Boyd, they were blitzing like crazy. They were bringing all their pressure packages. That's when he played the best. He got rid of the football. He, he can really pre-snap diagnose the blitz pretty well and know the vacated spot that he has to go to with the football. And he does it very well. He does it as well as most quarterbacks in the NFL. So I think it's going to be interesting to see if uh, Baltimore comes out with as heavy a blitz percentage as, as they have in the past because he torched them with it uh, twice last year, really particularly in that Thursday night game. And I thought his best drive of quite a few quarters came against a posture of, we're going to get after him, we're going to blitz him, and, and he made him pay. They went on a nice touchdown drive there where they mixed the run and the pass, and as he's releasing the ball, he's getting stung. I mean, they're hitting him hard. But he realizes, you know, i got to stand in there and throw it, and I'm going to throw it to where that guy should be who's hitting me, and he, he did it very well. The trade deadline is three weeks away. It's two days after the London game in week eight. What would it take for the Bengals to consider trading some of their best veterans? You know, it, in, a, in a league where it's very competitive, 50% of the games are decided by a touchdown or less, 25% are decided by a field goal or less, and the Bengals are looking at that kind of ratio. Unfortunately, they haven't won any of those close ones. So you're saying, what can we do to get better? Everybody's always trying to get better. And not just necessarily the last third of your roster, the bottom third, what's wrong with improving anywhere in your roster? So to me, I mean, I, I certainly wouldn't disconnect my phone. I'd listen to phone calls. I mean, I'd listen to people. I'd see what they're talking about anyway. That wouldn't necessarily mean I'd, I'd pull the trigger on anything. But, man, I, I'd at least see what the market is bearing out there, you know? I mean, why not explore that and, uh, you know, and maybe initiate something? You don't have to do it, but call and say, <clears throat> anybody on, on our roster that appeals to you? And if so, what do you got for me? What, do, what are we talking about here? I mean, there's nothing wrong with exploring it. You know, players understand, particularly the dollars in the NFL now, $14 billion industry. The players know they're independent co- contractors on a weekly basis. It's a business. So, I mean, if, you know, if it's not here, it might be somewhere else. Um, people move all the time trades aren't a real big uh high percentage thing in the national football league because the salary cap consequences and all those kind of things but i mean you never know till you explore if you just if you sit idly by and do nothing who knows what might have been a possibility thanks lap the baltimore ravens have one of the top cornerbacks in the nfl in marlon humphrey and he typically shadows the other team's top receiver In the last two weeks, that's been Odell Beckham Jr. of the Browns and Juju Smith-Schuster of the Steelers, and they combined for a total of 95 yards against the Ravens. That means it could be tough for Tyler Boyd to put up huge numbers this week. If Andy Dalton looks elsewhere, one of his primary targets figures to be Auden Tate. I spoke to the second-year receiver out of Florida State this week. We are in the locker room with Bengals wide receiver Auden Tate, who caught his first career touchdown pass last week. How big of a moment was that for you? 
Um, it was a big, big moment uh, for me, you know, getting that first touchdown ahead. A little bittersweet because I dropped the first one. But, you know, it was good to get that first one out of the way. You've been very hard on yourself about that drop. little slant on the opening possession. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess in your own mind, if you hold on to that ball, there's no question you're in? Oh, yeah, no question. No question I'm um, in right there two yards away. At that point, I could pretty much just try to carry him in and just get in that end zone. So, yeah, I was pretty sure I was going to get in there. You're talking to Auden Tate. It was kind of shocking because since you've been here at the beginning of last year, the one thing you haven't done is drop anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, it's just thing, you know, a uh, little high violations, taking taking my eyes off the ball too soon, looking to get upfield, looking to get in the paint, just, you know, got to focus on the ball more. Auden, A.J. Green is obviously still out. Sean Ross is out as well. Mm-hmm. You've become a focal point of the passing game right now. Uh, I guess that's something that you dream of when you get the opportunity to play in the NFL. Uh, you know, definitely. You know, definitely. You know, coming into the NFL, starting to be more in uh, game plan and offense. You know, definitely something. You know, you work for. You know, dream about. You know, since he was young. So you know, I'm just happy for the opportunity. Just ready to take full advantage of it. Top two passing weapons right now have been you and Tyler Boyd. Tyler had 10 catches last week. He's on a pace for 118 this season. What? Do you notice most when you observe him? I say his mentality. You know, he got a he got a real kill mentality. You know, anything in his way, you know, he just try to kill it. You know, no matter how big, small, whatever it is, he just got a real kill mentality. And I think you know everybody see that on Sundays. Smile came to your face when you talked about that killer mentality. Oh yeah, yeah, because that that man is a funny guy. If you was around him, like you don't know what I mean. But yeah, he got that killer mindset when he on that field. Odd, you came from Florida State. Mm-hmm. Won a lot of games there. How difficult is an 0-5 start for you personally? Um, you know, it's difficult. You no, know, mostly for the simple fact of knowing that you know we're not an 0-5 team, but you know, I mean that's what our record shows. So I mean that's what we are. But you know, knowing how easily you know this easily could be three and two, or you know maybe something else. So that's really the only disappointing thing. Other than that, you know, we know what we can do, and you know we're just ready to get back on track. You scored touchdowns on your final two possessions in last week's game against the Cardinals. Did that generate any sort of momentum going into Baltimore this week? Uh, yeah, I think it did. I mean, especially how fast we score and how effortlessly it kind of looked. You know, it looked like we out there just kind of just playing. You know, we weren't thinking, doing nothing, just playing. So I think it definitely does build up something that we could use going into Baltimore. So you get the Ravens this week. Historically a very good defense, not off to a great start defensively this year, but Marlon Humphrey's playing great at cornerback. What are your impressions of him? Got a good uh, skill set. You know, he's talented corner. You know, he plays, plays press, real physical. You know, just want, you know, just went against him. I mean, I mean, we're going against a lot of good corners here too. So I think, you know, we'll be prepared for them. And a veteran safety in the middle now that they picked up Earl Thomas, who, of course, had so many great years out in Seattle. What do you notice about him? Real savvy. You know, he ain't the biggest person on the field, but he played big. So, you know, he got he got that killer killer instinct type mindset, too, when he back there. But like I said, you know, we just go in there, just do what we got to do, prepare ourselves, you know, we'll be fine. A couple more questions for Auden Tate. One of the big plays last week was the touchdown pass to Tyler Boyd, and you helped make it happen with a block. It seems like that's a part of your game that you embrace. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't have a problem with, uh, you know, going in there, blocking some of the bigger guys. I was uh, asked to do that a lot at Florida State, so it's something I'm comfortable in. Congrats on that TD last week. I hope there are many more, and best of luck against the Ravens. Yes, sir, it will be. That's Auden Tate.
Now time for this week's Know the Foe interview as we do a deep dive into the Bengals' upcoming opponent with somebody that knows the team. This week, it's the voice of the Ravens, Jerry, with a G, Sandusky. He joined Lapp and me on the Bengals' game plan show this week and made Bengals' radio network history by doing the interview while getting his hair cut. Our first topic, the play of quarterback Lamar Jackson through Baltimore's first five games this season. Well, I think what you see with Lamar Jackson is pretty traditional in what you see in the journey of a young NFL quarterback in that he opened up with much better skills than anybody anticipated. His development was far above what anybody thought from a year ago. And then in the last two weeks, we have seen teams adjust what they're doing defensively. They've thrown some different looks. He hasn't adjusted quite as well. This last week against the Steelers, he had his lowest quarterback rating, his highest interception count, and the most sacks he's taken in a game. So he did not have a particularly strong game, which is going to happen to young guys. But the thing I like the most about Lamar Jackson is he has a quality that I haven't seen in young quarterbacks since Dan Marino. And I'll take you back to Marino in the 80s with the Dolphins because my dad was the offensive line coach. And he used to always yep. say, Marino, as a young player, if he had a three-interception game, which was rare, but on a third interception, he'd walk to the sideline, be all mad, cuss at my dad and say, bleep, 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 now I've got to throw four touchdown passes to win. He always had the mindset <laughs> of what he had to do yet to win the game. And Lamar Jackson has that same thing. He doesn't get you know, all hung up in his quarterback rating or I've thrown two, two, three interceptions. It's always, what do I need to do next to make sure we win the game? So in the overtime of the Steelers game, he's in danger of his sixth sack that's going to knock the Ravens out of field goal range. And instead, he just makes a quick heads-up decision to scramble to the left where he can get back to the line of scrimmage and preserve the field goal range. So that's the thing I do like about him, even as he goes through his learning curve. By the way, your dad was a hell of an offensive line coach. I had him in one of the college all-star games. Great dancer, too. He get up and cut a rug now at one of the uh, one of the dinners that was pretty outstanding. I, he had great feet. Your dad was uh, Right. Was, great. Was, Look, my, my dad, now you can hear the, the, the buzzer's going good now. My, my dad had two <laughs> skills that I'm always of envy. Three, really. He was a great coach. But he could dance and he could sing. Oh, could he ever? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he, he, was, was, he, was, he was like... He, he had, he had like a Pavarotti caliber voice, and he could dance. And because I, I was always fascinated by the fact that my dad was this huge man, a former pro player, and he could dance yeah. so well, from that point forward, I, I personally think the combine's a waste of time. If you want to find out who is eligible to play <laughs> offensive line in the NFL, take him, put him on a dance floor, and see who's light on their feet. Because I think that is a truer test of who has the DNA necessary to be an NFL offensive lineman. Dancing with the Stars, NFL Combine style. I love it. Maybe wouldn't maybe that be cool? A little, a little of that part of the part thing, of that. The singing would just so, be a bonus. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So obviously, the uh, running game is is making life a lot easier for Lamar Jackson. He's a big part of the running game. Ingram has seventy four carries. He has fifty. Edwards has thirty eight. I mean, that is a three headed monster in anybody's book. Uh, that all of them are averaging, you know, uh, great yards per carry. Ingram. Six rushing touchdowns, tied for second most in the NFL. How good has that rushing game been, averaging over 192 yards a game and uh, leading the NFL in points scored as a result of it? It's been spectacular because it's not just a one-dimensional running game. When they went out and got Mark Ingram, they really completed their ability to run at any angle around the field. But Gus Edwards is a wrecking ball. He's going to go between guard and center. He's, just going to, he's one cut. He's going to slam right at the middle. 
Ingram takes you all the way out to the tackle, and then Lamar takes you all the way to the sideline. So the ability right. to stretch defenses out with very different styles of runners, you know, it makes it really hard for a defensive coordinator to say, okay, we're going to take this area of the field away from this running back. You can do that, but you still are going to be vulnerable in other areas. We are visiting with the voice of the Ravens, Jerry Sandusky. Statistically, Baltimore has struggled against the pass, giving up 280 yards a game. But I wonder if that's just because teams have a hard time running against those gigantic tackles. How? Tell me how accurate the statistics are. They're unfortunately very accurate. The Ravens, the Ravens' pass defense has had some gaping holes, and the the fluke of the running numbers was the one game when Brandon Williams wasn't able to go because of a knee injury. He's the difference maker in the run defense. When he's in there, they give up on average about 94 yards a game. When he's not in there. They gave up 174 yards a game. So the one game when he's not in there, yeah, those numbers are a little bit misleading. But the secondary's numbers are, I would say, very accurate. I mean, they have not been good in the secondary. They've had communication breakdowns. They've had coverage breakdowns. Their pass rush has been inconsistent. Quarterbacks have had way too much time to throw, and they have been beating that secondary for chunk plays, which is just so unusual for the Ravens on all levels that you know the numbers are real and the concern is real as well. I want to go back to the offense for just a second and, and talk about the tight ends. You guys have had some great tight ends, you know, individual players in your franchise history, but this group of tight ends, is it as good as you've had? I mean, three of the top five receivers for Jackson are tight ends, and I'm looking at Andrews. He's got 15 third-down catches on 28 receptions. I mean, that's, you know, he's number one in the NFL in third-down catches. He's got three touchdown receptions. The tight ends seem to be, you know, not only a factor in the running game, but they can catch the football pretty damn well. Dave, you hit it right on the head in that not only do they have three good tight ends, but just like the running backs, the three tight ends complement each other. Nick Boyle is a power blocker. He is the kind of guy who can, you know, line up in the, in the backfield on the wing as a fullback and bring the noise. Mark Andrews has a unique skill that only football players will understand this. He's ordinary looking in OCAs. Coming out of college, I even thought, why did the Ravens draft this kid in the third round? There's nothing special about him. And then when you put him on pads, in pads, put him in a game, he has the ability to find the open spot in the zone and to settle down better than anybody I've ever seen since maybe Todd Heap, Shannon Sharp, that, that good of a player. And then Hayden Hurst, last year's number one pick, has really started to emerge. I think he probably has the best hands of the group. So you've got three different guys who can stretch the field, who can do the blocking, who can really open up number to number for Lamar Jackson. And they're set up by Hollywood Brown's speed. So that's the conundrum. You know, moving forward, we talked about the defense and making some adjustments. I think you'll see the Ravens make some adjustments starting this week. They're going to use ho- you want to take Hollywood Brown's speed away. That means you've got to take your safeties far down the field. You can't put them 15 yards off the line of scrimmage. And once you do that, then you open up that middle area, and that's why the tight ends are having so much success because you can't take away three tight ends and Hollywood Brown. There just aren't enough guys in the back right. end of a, of a secondary to do that. Right. We are visiting with the voice of the Ravens, Jerry Sandusky, who will have a great-looking haircut. When he's in the booth on uh, Sunday, See, based I'm on the Clippers disagree. in the background. My haircut's great because my, my hair's great, but I don't have great hair, so you can only do so much with it. <laughs> Trust me, I feel your pain <laughs> times a thousand. Yeah, I guess that was kind of unfair. Sorry about that. Yeah, that's all right. Justin Tucker is the best <laughs> kicker in NFL history. He hasn't missed a kick yet, yet this year, field goal or extra point. But I'm intrigued 
by the kickoffs because he has become the best weapon at pinning teams deep in their own territory in the league. Describe what the Ravens are doing when they kick off. So it's really a great move by Chris Horton, their special teams coordinator, and John Harbaugh, who has a special teams background. And we, we've all kind of grown accustomed the last couple of years of the, you know, de rigueur, kickoff, touchback, kickoff, touchback. Well, then all of a sudden the Ravens started to shift, and they used this really high, short kickoff. The first time I, I saw it, I thought, whoa, he must have gotten too low under the ball. And then I realized, no, that's totally intentional. They're using the right. punt mentality on the kickoff. And they're forcing teams to return kicks that they have to catch the five-yard line, but they have no time to set up any kind of blocking. So the return is getting only out to about the 15, 16-yard line. And instead of teams starting on the 25, they're starting inside their own 20 because of the way Tucker has been able to make the adjustment to pin people back with a high, short kickoff. 15.6 yards per kickoff return, second best in the NFL due, due to that strategy and yeah, I mean, leave it to John Harbaugh and others to to utilize, you know, this this guy's talents. He he is without a doubt. I mean, the way he played that wind in Pittsburgh, all the fans in the end zone are going crazy. Think it's going to go, you know, wide left and boop, just plays that plays that fade right back through the uprights and and, and broke their hearts. I mean, th- this guy is he's as dominant in his position, I think, as anybody is at their position in the NFL. I would agree. I mean, statistically, he's the most accurate, but. You know, the statistics can lie. What doesn't lie about Ch- uh, Justin Tucker is, okay, we were talking about my dad was a great singer. Well, Justin Tucker is an opera singer, too, and he yeah, loves right. the stage. He loves the spotlight. He loves the performance. So when the spotlight mm-hmm. is on him, when the game is on him, when that pressure that cracks a lot of kickers is on him, it brings him to life, and he just kind of steps into it, and he's so natural. He loves that moment, and he has proven he is quite good at that moment. So in your I know, I know it's early in the week, and I don't know how many conversations you've had, you know, with members of the uh, Baltimore organization, particularly the coaches. I was just curious, have, has anybody said anything about the 0-5 start and what they think of the Cincinnati Bengals at this stage of Zach Taylor's tenure? You know, it's really interesting, Dave, because if, if you were, let's say you were a team winner play all the time, say you were the Denver Broncos or maybe the, uh, uh, the L.A. Rams, and you were off to an 0-5 start, there would be a lot of talk about that, especially with a rookie head coach. But because you have so right. many players who are familiar that the Ravens have played against, and because the Bengals have been so successful against the Ravens and the Ravens' frustrations have been consistent and enormous, there is literally nobody talking about the Bengals' record. They're, the only record they're focusing on is the record the Bengals have had against the Ravens in recent years. So the respect is a lot higher than you might expect with an 0-5 record. The Bengals and Ravens have split the regular season matchups in each of the last three years, but prior to that, Cincinnati beat Baltimore five straight times. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. If you haven't done so already, don't forget to subscribe. And if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. Five-star ratings help more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.